Welcome to Rebuilding. This podcast is designed to help the church rebuild its walls one person at a time. For more information, check us out at www.piercepoint.org. Romans chapter 4, starting at verse 13 and going through 5, verse 1. These are the words of God. For the promise to Abraham, or to his descendants, that he would be heir of the world was not through the law but through the righteousness of faith. For if, through, if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise is nullified. For the law brings about wrath, but where there is no law, there also is no violation. For this reason, it is by faith, in order that it may be in accordance with grace, so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, a father of many nations have I made you. In the presence of him whom he calls into being, uh, in the presence of him whom, uh, whom he believed, even God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. In hope against hope, he, Abraham, believed so that he might become a father of many nations. According to that which he had spoken, which God had spoken, so shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. Verse 21, and being fully assured that what, was, what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Therefore, it was also credited to him as righteousness. Now, not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, but for our sake also, to whom it will be credited as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised for our justification. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Last week, we talked about the, the, the reality, something that we need to be grateful for, something we need to be thankful for, and that is that there were things, there are things spoken in Scripture that are not just spoken for those people. They're spoken for our benefit. And in this case, what is spoken for our benefit is that God justifies his people. He justifies people by faith in his son. This is a pretty profound truth, okay? Now, we, we see what chapter 5 verse 1 says, and the problem that we have is that if we don't understand the rest of scripture, if we don't look past those verses... We will, get ourselves, uh, we will get ourselves confused as to the power of faith. We will mystify or we will misdefine faith inside of this. So I want to take a little bit of time. I shared with you last week that we were going to talk about faith this week. I want to, I want to uh, define a little bit uh, uh, about justification. I want to share a little bit about justification this this morning. And then uh, as we go through this, we're going to dump out into the importance of faith. But 5.1 says this, it says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's really important that we understand a few things about our justification by faith. And the first is this, that faith has to have an object. 
Faith has to have substance to it. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying here? Uh, if, we, if, we, if faith doesn't have a substance, then what it leads to is the modern understanding of mystical faith, which is that we're going to name it, we're going to claim it, we're going to call things into existence that don't exist. Guess who does that? God, not you, okay? <laughs> God, you don't call things into existence. You can't just claim that you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, and all of a sudden it happens. How many, how many of you know that? Can I, get, can I get an amen? Because, listen, if that were true, if that were possible, then you need to pray for it so that we can have better tithe. No, I'm just messing with you. Anyway, I'm just messing with you. The, the, the point is, you can't, you can't claim this, okay? You, you don't just get to make stuff up. Faith has a substance. And so chapter 5, verse 1, when it says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, faith has a substance behind it. There is something to this. And that is the multiple facets of our justification. The multiple facets of our justification. Four points on justification that you need to see. The first thing is that justification is primary. It's first by grace. Do you understand this? It is by grace. Grace is the word in the Greek. It's charis, and it means unmerited favor, or it means the goodwill of God towards men, towards people. So we have been shown grace. Okay, but you have to understand something, and this is where it becomes. This is where, as Christians, we become grateful to what God has done. When we understand grace properly, when we understand God did not save you because of some intrinsic value in you, He did not save you because He sees His image in you. He loves His image. He wants His image. He wants His image bearers to reflect His glory. But if you think that through long enough, you realize that God saves image bearers to reflect His glory, not their own. Okay, you understand that. But we are saved by grace in the church today. We've manipulated grace into being uh, into being something like God saves you because He thinks you're cool. Okay, God saved you because he thinks you're cool. I saw an internet meme that just, it'll crack you up, okay? And it says, this is the epitome of the sugar-coated gospel, right? And it shows a hand of a man coming out of the water and he's drowning, okay? And he's, he's reaching, he's grasping, okay? And then the next image shows God reaching down from heaven, okay? Now, we could... We could take that and say, unmerited favor, God wanted to reach you. But then, the modern gospel gets presented in the final image. It's God giving the drowning man a high five and then going away. Because sadly, that's what we do. We go, Jesus thinks you're so cool. I'm dying here. I'm dying here. I don't need, to, I don't need somebody to tell me I'm cool. I need somebody to drag me out of this, okay? So the first thing that we have to understand is justification comes by grace. It is unmerited favor. Turn to somebody next to you and say, I'm not cool enough to save. <laughs> not cool enough to save. But turn to somebody now and say, but I'm loved enough to save. And it's, and it's his choice. And it's really awkward to see two guys say that to each other over here. Okay, so anyway, I'm loved enough to... Anyway, okay, moving on. So first one, it is by grace that we are saved. When scripture in Ephesians 2.8, it says, You are saved by grace through faith, and that, not of yourselves but it is the gift of God. I'm going to speak more to this in a second. But the word that there, uh, 
You are saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves. The word that is referring to salvation. That's what the antecedent of the word of the phrase is. So we have to go back to that. We are saved first. Our justification is by grace. The second, our justification is through an act of redemption. This is what Jesus did. How many of you know that you were enslaved to sin? You were enslaved to sin. You know what the scripture says? It says that the wages of sin, which you were enslaved to, Romans 6 talks about this master that's over us. You were enslaved to sin. It says that the wages of sin is death. You, have you ever thought about this long and hard? That, that the work you get to do, if you're going to be a sinner, if you're going to live your life uh, in, in opposition to the God of the universe, there's a paycheck at the end of that, of that work. There's a paycheck at the end of that life. It's a wage that's paid to you. And the wages of sin is death. And God looks at that and says, okay, you didn't trust my son. You didn't believe in me. You didn't trust me. So who should I make this out to? Right? Sinner A, right? And what, what's the amount? Death. You see, if we choose to live under the, uh, under the enslavement of sin, then here's the truth. The, the world's adage is right, YOLO. You better live it up. You only live once if that's how you're going to live. There's a consequence to living outside of God's plan. There's a consequence to not trusting him. And that consequence, that wage, as the scripture says, is death. We needed to be redeemed. We needed to be redeemed. And Jesus comes and he redeems us on the cross. He comes and he delivers us. The drowning man is not given a high five. The drowning man is pulled out. Amen? He's pulled out. He's not left there. Hey, here, I'll bring you a little waiter, a little uh, uh, floater, and you can swim around in the pool for a while. No, I'll bring you out, okay? Jesus brings us out of this. So uh, justification comes through an act of redemption. Justification is requ requires an act uh, or a sacrifice of atonement, okay? Do you know that Jesus, God could have said, um, I brought you out of sin, I redeemed you from sin, you're no longer under that master, and I'm going to give you this giant cosmic second chance, so I hope you get it right this time, and walk away. He could have done that. He could have said, I brought you out of sin, but I am so grateful God did not just give me a second chance. I screwed the first one up so bad, I'm convinced of the hundred chances I could get what I would do with them. I'm convinced what I would do. He doesn't just bring you out. He doesn't just redeem you from sin, but he also atones for your sin. And when he atones for your sin, he gives you life. As I shared last week, as I shared last week, the, the scripture says that Jesus sheds his blood for us. His blood is the atoning blood, atoning sacrifice, and that God speaks through the mercy seat. He speaks through his son, and he tells us that we are forgiven, that we are forgiven and that we are justified. We are right before God. Amen? This is, this is really good. Why is it that the blood was necessary? People ask this question all the time. Couldn't God have done it in a little bit less gruesome of a way? Well, Leviticus 17 tells us that in the blood of a creature, in the blood of a thing, is its life. Did you know that? And guess what? When Jesus' blood is shed for you, we have his life. 
That's why atonement is necessary. That's why his blood is shed for us. That's why when we take communion, we drink of the cup in the new covenant. It is his blood, and through that blood we have life. The scripture tells us that his death, his death uh, made us right. It, 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 it solidifies our relationship with God, and his blood and his resurrection give us life. It's important that we understand this. His, his blood gives us his life, and his resurrection is our assurance. Do you know why his resurrection is our assurance? Because people don't raise from the dead. That's why it's our assurance. Ain't nobody claimed that in the past and did it. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. My blood atones for you, and I will raise as your assurance for this truth. It's very important. So, points on justification. It is by grace. It is through an act of redemption. It requires a sacrifice of atonement. And then it comes by, or it is accepted, it is administered by faith. That's it. That's it. That's what you do. You trust him. Jesus did the work for you. He showed you grace, something you didn't deserve. He redeemed you from sin and your past. He atoned for your sins and gave you life. And what do you do? What do you do, church? You believe. You have faith in him. You put your trust in him. The issue, though, is that when it comes to faith, we have messed this whole thing up. We don't even understand what faith really looks like. It, again, has become mystified. So what we do is we say things like, faith creates things. Faith creates things. I shared this in the beginning. Faith creates nothing. Faith does not create one single thing. Why? Because faith has to have an object. Faith means trust. It has to have an object. Which means, according to Scripture, God has to promise a thing before you can put your trust in a thing. You could have all the faith you wanted in uh, any number of things that you think can save you, and none of them will. You can muster up your faith and try to strain it out and try to work this whole thing through, but it will not save you. Faith requires a promise already made. I've shared this illustration many times, many times, but I want to I point your attention to it or draw your attention to it again because this best, in my mind, it best models faith. Let's say the chair is salvation. The chair is salvation, okay? Faith has to have a chair, <laughs> okay? This is, this is salvation, you don't go over here and say, I'm going to be saved by faith. I'm going to be saved by faith. I'm going to be saved by faith. And then you just sit down. You know what will happen if you do that, right? Your butt will hurt. Okay. So you, this is salvation. Do you know what faith is? You know what faith is in this context? This is faith. It's going to hold me. It's going to hold me, isn't it? Well, it is <laughs> right now, but it's faith is holding me. This is faith, but faith requires a promise. Faith requires something solid. Now, of course, the scripture says that, uh, that faith, is, uh, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And I just happen to be able to see this chair here, right? But God has told us his promise is, I have justified you. By what? By grace, through an act of redemption, with a sacrifice of atonement, I have given you life. What I want you to do is I want you to sit down. 
I want you to trust me. I want you to rest in me. Okay? There is a promise, and we simply rest. Sadly, most Christians do something like this. Well, in case it's not true, in case it's not true, that's not faith, church. That's not faith. That's not faith. Listen to what faith is. It's the assurance of things hoped for, the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence or the conviction of something not seen. In this way, this is hard to understand, in this way, faith is binary. It's on or it's off. You trust God or you don't trust God. There's a famous argument that gets thrown around among atheists, among people who are trying to convince atheists, and it's known as Pascal's Wager. Pascal's wager effectively goes something like this that says, listen, if, uh, if you as an atheist are wrong and there is, and there is no God, if, if you're wrong and there is a God, you have a problem, right? If you're wrong and there is a God, you have a problem. You will face his wrath. You will face his justice. But if I as a Christian am wrong, right there we have a problem. But I as a Christian, if I'm wrong... It's no big deal. I'll just be worm food with you. That's Pascal's wager, effectively. Okay? But here's the problem. That's not faith. It does not say faith is the semi-assurance of a thing, but you don't really know, so you're just going to figure it out at the end of life. That's not faith. Faith is the assurance of something that is hoped for, the evidence, the conviction of something that is not seen. So in this way, again, faith is binary. Faith is something that we have to firmly place in God. We have to say, God, I can't save myself. It's you. <laughs> this is up to you. I got nothing. And then what we do, salvation is the chair. Faith is, I'm resting in you. I am resting in you. I'm going to put it all there. I'm going to trust you. A couple other identifiers about faith, things that you need to understand. Number one, faith is not a work. Faith is not a work. There are some Christians that tend to uh, present faith in a way that faith is a work and that if faith is required, then works is what gains you your salvation. Faith, by definition, cannot be a work. Galatians 2.16. Turn to Galatians 2.16. Look at the contrast that is made when it comes to faith. What, what is the contrast? As you see it, you can call it out if you want. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith. What's the juxtaposition of faith here? Come on. Works of the law. If, if faith was a work, it can't be the opposite of works, Right? If, if the scripture meant that faith was a work, it would say you can't be justified by the works of the law, but, but, but believe by this work. That doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. Faith is not a work in any way, shape, or form. In Romans 3, 28, we learn this same thing. In Romans 4, 5, every time the contrast is between work and faith, it cannot be a work to believe, okay? I sat down with a... a kind of a reignited friendship or in some ways maybe a new friendship just the other day and uh, and I shared with him I said I said hey we we both committed to come here and have coffee together 
We both committed to come here and have coffee. You gave me your word. That was your promise. I gave you my word. That was my promise. Um, And guess what? We both showed up, right? We're, We're both here having coffee. I said, when I showed up to the coffee shop, when I had faith that your promise was true, that you would come here, I said, did my trust in your promise make you get out of bed this morning? Did it make you jump in the car? Did it make you come and show up to the meeting? No. My faith is not a work. It doesn't warrant anything. It doesn't make anything happen. It's just not the way this works. I said, all I did to come here was trust that you'd show up. That's what I did. I just trusted that you would show up. That is what we're called to do when it comes to our salvation in Christ. We trust that what he did is done. What he did is full. It is final. Faith cannot be a work. Second, faith is not the gift spoken of in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Turn with me there. As a matter of fact, there's only one way in the entire scripture where faith is a gift. There are some philosophies in the Christian world today that believe that faith has to be given to you by God in order for you to pronounce belief in him. You have to be given faith so that you can, you can respond. Number one, it's not biblically true. And number two, it doesn't make sense grammatically either. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, look at what it says. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. What does that refer to? That refers to salvation. And guess what is a gift of God? Salvation. If you want to look at it this way, it's true that salvation is the gift of God by grace through faith. The salvation gift is that God did not see something worthy in you, right? No one is righteous, no, not one. You weren't a good guy. You weren't a righteous guy. God loved you while you were yet a sinner, This is really important. He loved you while you were at his center. He he showed you grace. His salvation was by grace. And the only thing that he wants you to do is trust him. I saved you. That is a gift like no other. That is a gift. That is an amazing gift that we can't even comprehend at times. Because it is so impressive. God said, I love you. I died for you. I'm the one who atoned for you. I'm the one who gave you life. What do I want from you? Trust me. Trust me. That right there is a gift. But to further prove it to you grammatically, the word there, that, in that sentence there, is actually in the neuter form in the Greek. And the word faith is in the feminine, which means that cannot refer to faith. It refers to that which was the, antece- the, the beginning of all of this, which is you are saved by grace through faith. Any scholar that has done any work knows that faith is not the gift. Now, where does faith show up as a gift in the Bible? Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. You don't have to turn there, but you can write it down for your further study. Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. And in both instances, it is the spiritual gift of faith for the, for the edification, the building up of the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12 says that there is a gift of faith. How many of you know that? How many of you know what that means? 
please come talk to me afterwards. <laughs> I feel like I'm lost on that one, right? The gift of faith. It's an amazing gift that was given for the body of believers. We don't fully understand it, or I don't fully understand it, but it was given for the body of believers. In Romans 12, it talks about that gift being put in action among the Christians. Only time in scripture that faith is referred to as a gift. Otherwise, faith is your trust in God. Do you see it? So it's really important. So faith is not a work. Faith is not a gift, according to the scripture. Faith can be put away. Nobody likes to talk about this one. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 19. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. Paul writes to the young pastor, Timothy, and he says to him, I want you to keep the faith. Logically, what does keep the faith imply? That you cannot keep it, <laughs> that you could let it go, right? So he says, keeping the faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected. I want you to do what others have already not done. Keep the faith. Others have rejected. So he says, keeping the faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. They've wrecked this thing into the ground. Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. Faith is not a work. Faith is not a gift that God gives. It is your trusting in his gift, which is salvation. Faith can be put away. Fourth, faith can be in the wrong thing. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Lots of turning today, guys. If you have a digital Bible, lots of button pushing today, guys. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Do you remember what the scripture says our assurance of life is? Life comes because of the blood. What is our assurance of life? The resurrection. How did the resurrection come about? The power of God. Trust me, no man's wisdom makes that come up. We don't even write that into our stories. It doesn't make sense. God's power gives us the assurance of our belief. But sadly, we can put our faith in the wrong things. We can put our trust in the wisdom of men. There are so many people that Jesus says, maybe not so many people, but there are people that Jesus says, they will come to me one day and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this and that in your name? And his response is, depart from me, I never knew you. It's a staggering statement to hear from the Lord of glory. Why? Oh, they did the works of God. Oh, they did what he asked them to do. Oh, he used them and worked through them, but they did not put their faith in him. They trusted another. Do you know what, do you know what we say when a couple splits up, when, when, um, when they get divorced or when there's marital problems, we often say that faith has been broken or trust has been broken, don't we? 
Have you ever heard that? Faith and trust. That's what's been broken. Because the one doesn't believe the other, and the other doesn't believe the other, and so all of a sudden, our trust is broken. Faith is trust, and so when we break this down, we have, we have split from God. We have not placed our trust in the right things. And make no mistake, church, we can place our trust in all the wrong things. Even after we sit in the chair, church, you can sit in that chair and then you can say, oh, that guy told me that I have to do this and this and this and this and this and, uh, in order to keep my salvation, in order to be the right thing. And sadly, when it comes to salvation, I'm not talking about holiness. I'm not talking about sanctification. I'm not talking about in view of mercy, pleasing the God who bought you. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about with your salvation, you start to go, maybe it's not that easy. Maybe it's not as easy as grace. Maybe it's something else. And maybe I need to go back to the drawing board so that I can actually be saved by God. Saved by God is putting your trust in what he has done. Because faith requires a promise. Okay? Faith requires a promise. Faith is not a work. Faith is not a gift uh, that God gives. Saving faith is not a gift that God gives. Faith can be put away. We can put it away. Faith can be placed in the wrong thing, which is often why we put it away. And then there's this beautiful truth that I love. So people argue and say, okay, so what makes people get saved? Well, first of all, that's, that's asking a question presuming something, and that is that there has to be a cause besides your response to the message of God. That's not true, though. That's not true. The Scripture says faith comes by hearing. See, you know it. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. But what does Scripture say about the Word of God with a particular focus on the gospel? The same book of Romans that says all of this says that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. What gives, us, what gives us life? The power of God. What caused the resurrection that gives us assurance? The power of God. What is the gospel? It's the power of God. It's the word of God that speaks into our life and we have faith because we heard. We put our trust in, we believe in because we heard. Now just think about this for a second. The God of the universe who some time ago now, <laughs> some time ago now said, let there be light and light came into existence. The God of that immense power, why would we be surprised when he says, I bring you good news of great joy and the hearts of men all come to attention? Why would we be surprised if God says, this is the gospel. My son has died for you. He is. This is by grace. This is an act of justification. It comes through a sacrifice of atonement. But he has come to save you and to rescue you from all that you know. Believe in me. Why would we not think the God who says, let there be light, can speak the gospel and it change people's hearts? Why would we not think that? Oh, because we actually don't have faith in who he is. We don't trust in who he is. Guys, faith is a big deal. But remember this. Faith has to have a promise. Faith has to have a promise. And if God has promised it, you can take it to the bank. Okay? You can take it to the bank. It's very important. And guess what? God has promised salvation. He has come into the world to die for the sins of mankind. He wants that none should perish, 
but that all come to everlasting life. Do you know what? You all believe that, but that's the message that you're taking to the world. That's the message that you're proclaiming, hopefully, from your rooftops. Maybe not your literal rooftops, but, you know, maybe it works for you. I don't know. Your subdivision might not, homeowners association might not approve of that, but just try it. You know what I'm saying? So faith is not a work. Faith is not a gift, not saving faith. Faith can be put away. Faith can be in the wrong thing. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And the word of God is the gospel unto salvation. The gospel, the power of God unto salvation. That's a profound thing. Okay, all of that. You say, yeah, Nathan, heard it all before. It's fine. I get those principles. Okay, now I want to make it practical. I want to talk to you on your level. Show of hands. I need you guys to participate with me. Show of hands. How many of you believe that God can do anything he promises? I expect every hand to go up if we really believe that God can do anything he promises. How many of you, by a show of hands, believe that God, not just that he can, but that God will do anything? Everything he has actually promised. Every hand should also go up. Now, I have, a, I have an opinion on what's going to happen in this response. How many of you wrestle with how that's going to happen? The whole church just said we believe that if God promises it, it'll happen. Guess what that's called? Full assurance faith. That's the assurance of things hoped for. The whole church raised your hands when I said, do you believe that God will fulfill all that he promised? Guess guess what that's called? Faith. The whole church said, we don't know how. Guess what that's called? Nothing. It's called, you don't know how. It's called, you don't know how. And here's the problem. Too many people have told you for too many years, your faith is junk. You don't know how God's going to do something, so therefore, you're of little faith. Guess what? I don't have a doubt in my mind God's going to do what he promises. I don't have a doubt in my mind that God can do and will do all that he has promised. But I have no clue how he's going to do it most of the time. I just don't have any clue. Guess what? You're keeping good company. Back to our story. Back to Romans chapter 4, and what we learned of Abraham and Sarah. I need you to see these beautiful points about their life. Here's what it said. It said, in hope against hope, verse 18 of chapter 4, in hope against hope, Abraham believed. Pistis, that's the word. Means faith, right? Abraham had faith. He believed in God. In hope against hope, he believed so that he might be a father of many nations according to that which had been spoken. What does that mean? Had been spoken. Means promised. God promised something, right? What had been spoken, he believed it. So shall your descendants be. There's a lot to that, but what he means by so shall your descendants be is you will have many descendants and they will be a people of faith. The true children of Abraham are a people of faith. Look at verse 19. Without becoming, say it with me church, weak in faith. Just want you to know something. Abraham was not weak in faith. Doesn't matter what you remember about the story, and I'm going to go back there in just a second. Abraham did not grow weak in faith. 
He contemplated his own body now as good as dead. Show of hands, how many of you feel that you're as good as... No, I don't want you to, I don't want you to answer that, that question. I feel that way on Monday mornings. Okay, so as good as dead, okay? He contemplated his own body. What did Abraham do? Abraham looked at physical circumstances, didn't he? He looked in the mirror. He thought, who's the old guy? Oh, it's me, okay? So he contemplates that, and then it says, now as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. You know how long it had been since Sarah had ever had a child? Ever. So, so she's, she's got a dead womb, okay? So he's 100 years old, and she is, uh, her womb is dead. She's put somewhere around 90 years old. Now, I'm trying to convince Sarah that we can have children all the way up to 90 if she'll just be patient with me. I don't think she's sold on it, so a uh, little help. Just, just suggested to hand her your babies, and she gets the bug. It's just an amazing thing, okay? So he looked at it. He saw his body was as good as dead and that his wife's womb was dead. But look at what verse 20 says. Yet with respect to the promise of God, Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief. Wait a second, Nate, that doesn't make sense. Instead, he grew strong in his faith, and look at what it goes on to say, and being fully assured that what God had promised, Abraham raised his hand with you guys. Do you believe that God can do all that he has, uh, that all that he has promised? Yes. Do you believe that God will do all that he has promised? Look at what he says. Being fully assured that what God had promised, he was also able to perform. Abraham didn't struggle like we struggle. Well, I believe that God can. I just don't know that he will. He believed he could, and he believed he will. He would. Whatever words I'm trying to get out, right? He believed that he could, and he believed that he would. And the scripture says his faith never wavered. I'm guaranteeing you that in this group today, there are some of you that say, that's what I feel like. I feel like my faith is all over the place, but I don't doubt that God can, and I don't doubt that he will. I just have no idea how. I have no idea how he's going to bring this about. I look in the mirror, there's no chance he's going to bring this about. I look at my circumstance, no chance he's going to bring this about. Think about Abraham. Do you remember the story in Genesis? Abraham and Sarah both laughed at God. Try that sometime. Let's just see if there's lightning bolts. I just, I'll stand over here, but you do it, okay? You laugh. I want to see what happens. It's a, it's a spiritual study I'm producing. Anyway, so they both laughed at God. That, that sounds like they doubted in their faith. Ah, uh -huh. they didn't doubt in their faith. They had no clue how God was going to do a thing. Do you understand that? Wait a minute, Nathan. Didn't Sarah and Abraham go to Hagar? Didn't they use her, uh, her maidservant? And didn't they have Ishmael? And didn't Abraham even try to like consult with God and say, can't you do the blessing through this guy? Can't you just go this route? Yes, he did. But Paul's not lying. Paul is not lying. He didn't waver in his faith. So what Abraham did was he looked at the situation, said God's going to promise it. I guess maybe he'd do it this way. Let's see. And then he tries to convince God that that's the good way. And God does not smack him. I love it. God does not smack him. He doesn't say, yield little faith, get out of my face. He doesn't say that either. He looks at him and he says, no, 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 no. The promise is through Sarah and it will be through Isaac. And that is the promise. And Abraham 
was stronger in his faith. He grew strong in his faith, fully assured of what he already knew. What God promises, God will, God can do, and what God promised, he will do. But he didn't know how it would work. If you go through the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, you'll find that in two different instances, after calling out these heroes of the faith, the scripture says they believed God, they had full faith, they're recorded as the top dogs of faith, and then it says this, it says, and they died not having received the promise. You want me to tell you what that, when people have a problem with that, what their problem is? Their problem is that they have a how firmly fixed in their mind and God isn't playing their game. God is still God. He is still faithful. He is still good. So let's say, let's say that God promised you something. Let's say that God promised you that, that he would heal you. I'm just going to throw out a suggestion. Let's say that God said, I'm going to heal you. There's a, there's a tendency that your mind says, I understand the how, and it must be this way. And God says, I told you I would. I told you, I, I told you it's a promise. I, you know that I will accomplish it, but I've not told you how. We have Christians all over the place that pray for their loved ones, and their loved ones die. And they go, this doesn't make sense. God did not back up his promise. Nonsense. He didn't back up your how. He didn't back up your how. All of them died not having received the promises. Did God take back his word? Did God say, sorry, bad promise, bad? No. God is faithful. See, church, here's what I want you to be encouraged on. If you believe in salvation, if you believe that God firmly has you, firmly, you believe that whatever God promises, God can do, and whatever God promises, he will do. That's where you rest. You sit there. You may ask God. You may call on God and say, please help me understand how you're going to do it. But if God doesn't, don't move from the chair. Don't move from the chair. Abraham was faithful, never wavering in unbelief. And he even took all these weird things into his own hands at a point. Guys, faith is an interesting thing. And some of you are walking around, you're living in a place of great doubt because you're saying, I, 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 maybe I've lost all my faith. Maybe I've lost this. But then when you wake up in the morning, you're going, I still know that God is good. I still know that he saved me. I still know that I can trust him. Maybe your waiver is in how. Maybe your waiver is in how. It's not a waiver in faith. It's just an understanding. And we don't always have it. This is a hard thing for us to get. It's a hard thing for us to get because I, I, I live among people who, uh, who will spend time arguing about hows when nobody's lost faith. Nobody's lost faith. They're trusting that God can do what he promises and that he will do what he, was promised, what he promised. They just have no idea how it's going to play out. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to never lose faith in God and his promises and his ability. But I want you to stay humble in the how. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to Rebuilding from Pierce Point Community Church. We hope that today's podcast will help you become a more connected part of Christ's body. Remember to check out our website at piercepoint.org for more information.